Soccer. I am your host, Michelle Hutink, and with my co-host, Christian Conway. Let the autopsy of the galaxy season begin. Yes, so let's find out <laughs> and let's um, dissect what happened um, in the defense. Uh, but before that, we are going to look at the U.S. men's national team, who I think continues to impress. I mean, especially how fantastic they looked against Mexico and to take that win and um, what really fun goals to see in that Mexican match. Yeah, I, I think what's what's so interesting about this U.S. men's national team from kind of like a, from 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 where I sit is that it, it's odd because, you know, we talk about uh, and, and Bearhalter and Timmy Weah and Weston McKinney all use this word youth, that they're all very young. And that USA-Mexico game at home, I kind of mentally was a little nervous about because you think about this team, I mean, you know, the team they sent out against Jamaica was, I believe the average age was 22 years old and 342 days. One of the youngest uh, national teams ever sent out for a qualifying game. Like, we're sending kids, you know, like, and and the way they handled themselves in that game against Mexico. And, and I think what's been really interesting, and especially the Mexico game against Canada kind of highlighted this to me, is that Mexico, Mexico likes to make the game a little bit dirty. They like to unsettle you by kind of getting in your face getting a little bit you know a little bit you know kind of touchy and and teams do that that's that's a legitimate strategy but the way that the united states handled mexico at home in cincinnati in front of a pretty rabid crowd i mean yes mexico had their chances you know you talk about the chance that um uh herving lozano had in like the i believe was the 23rd minute or something like that but outside of that i mean mexico didn't really have a lot going forward and and yes we can talk about the fact that mexico has struggled in this window and has struggled really through qualifying, even if they are second in, or a third in the qualifying uh, positions. But the United States just didn't look overwhelmed by the occasion. And I think that speaks to something about this team. I mean, they looked so comfortable. And yeah, you know, like it takes Christian Ballistic to come on the field and his instinct to score the first goal and then Weston McKinney scores the second. But at, at no point during that game did I feel this is tilting out of the United States' favor. I mean, they had 18 shots, five on goal. I mean, like, they 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 felt so comfortable in that Mexico game. And yeah, we, we, we'll talk about the Jamaica game here in a second. But the way they handled Mexico at home at that age, I think is so incredibly poignant, right? Like, we're talking about a team that went to Denver in the Nations League. And we, talk about, we talked about that game earlier. But they, but they looked so much, I don't want to say older, but more mature than I think they should have looked, right? Like, you're talking about starting 11 that relies on Gio Reyna, who's 18, Christian Pulisic, who is an elder statesman in this team, and he's 23. You know, like, Ricardo Pepe, who has been on fire, you know, and he's 18. Like, all these players that shouldn't look like they're 28 years old and played, you know, in four major finals. But they looked like that against Mexico again. And I mean, obviously, there's there's open questions about Tata Martino and his relationship with El Tree and, you know, El Tree's current relationship with its current set of players and and, and the, the need to get younger, but the reliance on, you know, the likes of Herrera and, and, and Guardado and all the rest of it. But they just never looked overmatched at any point in that Mexico game. And I think that, for a team that young, is an incredible statement. It, it feels good to be able to say dos a cero. Um... You called it that someone was going to get sent off of this match. I think because it's U.S. versus Mexico, that's that's not difficult to predict, right? Um, Pulisic, when, when he comes on, you could just tell that stadium in Cincinnati lights up and they know that he's he's going to score. And, and what, a, what a goal. Now, McKinney's goal, that looked like he kind of messed that up. I'm not going to lie. Like, this is where that that youth comes in like you know they're just young guys they're meaning that they're inexperienced and so it, it actually that his ball bounced off um a mexican defender and then gets luckily bounced back to mckinney who takes who takes that shot and and luckily you know in a way redeems himself and and in that giveaway doesn't doesn't hurt you know yeah i i think that is you know Weston McKinney, the Weston McKinney that we know, and I, and 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 we've we've you know we all know kind of how difficult 
Weston McKinney had an early qualification cycle. I mean, obviously what happened off the field and then how he, he openly spoke in the athletic uh, a couple of weeks ago about how he felt like he had lost himself, that he had lost, you know, the player that everyone had fell in love with and he needed to kind of get back into that and scoring a goal against Mexico does help with that. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I do think, you know, yeah, Miles Robinson gets sent off in this game. I think that was maybe a stupid red card, but as I texted you and as I've, I've, I've told other people, I mean, just these kind of games will lead to red cards and just someone's not going to be there. Um, but, but I do think this was one of the most encouraging performances I've ever seen from the U.S. men's national team simply because this was a group that was incredibly young, incredibly, you know, they don't have the experience. I mean, like, think about the other statesmen in this team right now as presently constituted. When Bearhalter calls in his 23, I mean, the other statesman is, you know, Sebastian Legette, 28, but never really had a lot of time at the starting, you know, like within the starting 11 of the U.S. men's national team. And then who else is it? It's, you know, it's Christian Pulisic. And he's 23. Like, the fact that we're here and we're talking about this team we're talking about the maturity that they show and the, like, mm-hmm. and I'll start bringing in the Jamaica game here because I think a lot of us fans were really, you know, like riding the high of beating Mexico at home, dos a cero, you know, like hitting the old high notes. And then they go to Jamaica and get a one, one draw, by the way, two phenomenal goals in that game. I mean, Timmy way yeah, goal. And then Mikel Antonio, just, you know what, honestly, if you look at that goal and say, Zach Steffen was at fault. I don't know what to tell you. You know, like, Zach Steffen and all the goalkeeper union would agree with me. What it's just like, all right, cool, pick it out of the back of the net. I just got beaten. That was too good. But in the second half, I mean, I think, you know, yeah, they didn't play particularly well. And Ravel Morrison, when he comes on, completely torched the United States defense. And yeah, we can talk about Anthony Robinson at outside back and how that's maybe not necessarily the best position, or like maybe he's not the best option, but. You know, they lost Julian Araujo to Mexico. They, they, they don't really have a lot of other options. But what I think was really interesting about that Jamaica game was if you look at the U.S. on the road this year, they've gotten five points out of their road games. That's pretty significantly good in a region where going on the road is really difficult. And yeah, maybe the United States should have been better. And yeah, I mean, honestly, we could talk about the United States getting off easy in Jamaica. I mean, they probably should have lost. I mean... We didn't see a conclusive angle, but the disallowed goal in the 82nd minute, I mean, like, I I don't know. Like, I, I think that should have stood. But, and, and everyone's saying, oh, VR would have overturned it, it would have stood. And I was like, well, yeah, but VR would have looked at a couple of challenges that Jamaica threw into the first half. And I think those might have been red cards. Um, but again, we're, we're getting into a weeds of like, well, what could have been? Um, but I, I do think this this team is exhibiting a certain level of maturity but also composure right like it takes a lot of composure to go on the road and conquer calf see Mikel Antonio score that absolute screamer and then she's like all right cool we're gonna be okay you know like that begrudgingly a colossal (laughs) the angry penguin gift um but but it takes a certain level of maturity to kind of look at that colossal and say you know what hey we're gonna be okay we believe we can get through this and Timmy Weah kind of alluded to it in his press conference after Jamaica where he said yeah the guys believe in us you know like we all believe in each other, and like, it's weird to feel this good about a U.S. men's national team, right? Like, this is the first time I think in I think in history the United States has beaten Mexico in three competitive matches in a year. Like, they're doing amazing things, and like, I understand the frustration that I saw on Twitter and and, and other social media after the Jamaica game, which was. Oh, we should have had more. And I was listening to uh, Brian Dunseth and Tony Miola on Counterattack on SiriusXM after that game. And and Brian Dunseth said, like, oh, we should have had more. We should have had more. And it was like, I understand that because this team is so exciting to be around, right? Like, they're just dynamic in a way that we've never really experienced. Like, think about the U.S. men's national teams we've grown up around. Like, 2002, which was Landon Donovan, Clint Mathis. Claudio Reyna at the end of his career, like they were fun, but they were pragmatic because it was Bruce Arena's team. And what does Bruce Arena do? Always, it's pragmatism. 2006 happens, and 2006 was a massive failure. Partially Bruce Arena's fault, partially not. And then 2010, I mean, that 2010 team was electrically fun to watch, but they were kind of pragm- They were Bob Bradley's empty bucket 4-4-2 
two defensive midfielders. We do not give up space. We will outwork you. It's not necessarily fun to watch, you know? <laughs> like, and then, you know, 2014 happens, you're in Klinsman, and, and, and we watch Michael Bradley misplayed as a number 10, and all that happens. The uh, Landon Donovan being left, other, left off that roster, and then, you know, 2018 happens. We haven't had a fun national team to watch until about this cycle, right? Because it's just, it's a bunch of kids trying stuff, and that's really fun. Way to make me feel nostalgic. Um, <laughs> I'm just sitting here, like, you know, going through all those years, first of all, thinking, how did that go so fast? And, and second of all, just, yeah, reflecting on, I mean, this team knows the pain of what it's like to not qualify for the World Cup. And, yeah, okay, Mexico is struggling. And, man, that, that match against Canada, uh, especially – you know, once the final whistle was blown, it was just like, dude, just take the L and just like, you know, get off the pitch. Um, I understand, you know, what that team is going through, but to the to the U.S.'s credit, you know, first of all, they they were at the top of the table, and I was so proud to actually be able to to have it there. And then, of course, I mean, I don't know, did you figure that Canada was going to take the top spot and the U.S. would be in second place right now, which is still still a great place to be in. Yeah, I, I, what I would say is that, uh, I mean, I don't mind as long as we're above four. That's what matters, right? Like, I was going to say, yeah. Our U.S. Our US um, expectations um, are to be at number one, right? Yeah, <laughs> but, but, but it would, I mean, we're also dealing with a Canada team that, mm-hmm. in all honesty, I don't think any of us expected Canada, like, we expected Canada to be good, right? Like, but we didn't expect them to be this. And I think mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, they also leveraged a lot of what the United States leverages when it comes to playing Mexico in a qualifier, which is that, Hey, you're going to use your geographical, um, you know, advantages as best you can. And I think the United States, uh, you know, you're playing in Cincinnati didn't necessarily go according to plan at Cincinnati's weather didn't, you know, cooperate, but I'm, I, I understand like, you know, you go to, you go to the farthest North place you can, that FIFA will deem reasonable and then make it happen. You know what I mean? Um, but for, for me, honestly, right now, outside of, you know, looking, you know, looking globally at World Cup qualification, um, outside of Mali having a chance to go to the World Cup, which I think is an incredible story, Canada's the other story of qualification for me. Because, I mean, this team is good. We know that. But they shouldn't be this good, you know? And, like... The way they handled Mexico, and, and yeah, it was 2-1, and, and Mexico scored a credible goal at the end of that game. Had it, uh, you know, got on his broomstick and flew through the air. Um, but it just, Mexico handled them with, or uh, excuse me, Canada handled them with a certain ease. Um, I, I do appreciate Donald Henry within the first 30 seconds of Canada return, or, uh, Mexico returning to Canada for the first time for World Cup qualification since, I believe, like 1998, and just absolutely hockey-checking him into the ground. I or uh, hockey, hockey checking um, Irving Lozano into the ground. I do appreciate that. Um, but, but what I would say is this. The United States is in a good place right now. Like, if you look at the, 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 the numbers that we're seeing, Panama is also the other surprise kind of package of this qualification cycle. They shouldn't be as good as they are, but they're only on 11 points. The United States is on 15. Like, and then it's Costa Rica on 9. Yeah, things could maybe go south in the next two windows in January, February, and then March. But look at what the United States has. Like, as far as I'm concerned, nine points gets the United States to Qatar. Look at what they have coming up. They have home to El Salvador, away to Canada, home to Honduras. Let's talk about those games. El Salvador has really struggled on the road in qualification. Away to Canada, it looks like it's going to be played in Hamilton, which will not be as bad as going to Edmonton. Still going to be difficult, but I think they can maybe get a point out of that. Because I mean think they won't need ice skates. Well, they might. It might turn into a hockey game. Um, but I, I think they're a better team than Mexico right now. Um, and then home to Honduras, who I mean, like, yeah, that first half away to Honduras was disastrous, but Honduras has had an absolute nightmare of a qualification process. And away to the United States, and they're going to play that somewhere where they're, they're, it's going to be loud, it's going to be intense. I, I remember watching that Honduras team uh, in the Nations League uh, semifinals 
And I remember turning to a friend of mine and a friend of mine who, you know, doesn't watch uh, soccer pretty much ever. And he literally said, I don't see anything about this Honduras team that I should be worried about. And mm. I kind of agreed. I mean, they're relying on Manor Figueroa at 38 years old to be the anchor of that back line. And he's probably their best player right now. And that's concerning, you know, like they've already fired their head coach. So that's what figure seven points out of that window. And then it's, yeah, the March window is incredibly difficult. It's, Away to Costa Rica, which they've never won a World Cup qualifying match in. Away to Mexico, and we all know the Azteca. That doesn't need any kind of explanation. But then home to Panama. And I'm looking at these games, and I'm like, yeah, it should be really easy for the United States to rack those nine points that they need over six games. Like, we are in so much of a better place than we were in 2017. And, like, I don't understand this negativity around the U.S. that's like, oh, it's going to all fall apart tomorrow. It's, no, this, this is good. Like, we're in an incredibly good position right now. Yes, and, and CONCACOF is going to have its challenges. And, and you know, you're going to give credit to these teams. I mean, El Salvador, I even, you know, I've got a lot of Salvadorian friends. And, and you know, I know that they get their heart bro- heartbroken a lot and that they kind of expect it. <laughs> to, but you, you can't underestimate going against any of any of these teams and you know as far as not not winning in costa rica i feel like this is when those records are meant to be broken and if anybody can do that it's this team so i'm because they're not scared forward to all these matches yeah like that's the thing about this team is they're not scared i mean we talk about that second half in honduras and i think that was the moment that this group got forged into a team because they were one nil down and it all looked bad and i remember being on twitter just being like oh my god if they lose this game in honduras it's it's going to be the end of everything and they won 4-1. And it just completely changed the way that we looked at this team. Um, really quickly, on El Salvador, because I know a lot of Galaxy fans happen to come from El Salvador. I really like this El Salvador team, and I like Ula Perez. I think they're a cycle too early, if that makes sense. That this is going to be a very good team in about three years' time. But I'm really excited with what they're building down there, because it looks mm-hmm. fascinatingly interesting to me. Um yeah, I, I, I think, I mean, the, the U.S. could have this thing done by January if they beat, you know, if they go three wins on the, on, on the road. Now, we do have to remember that national teams are weird and no one stays healthy for very long. So we have to be careful. But I do, I do feel very positive about if you are tempted to go to a World Cup and support the U.S. men's national team, I'd maybe start looking at hotels at this point. All right. Well, you heard it here first. And um, so, Christian, does that mean that you're going? Uh, well, they're not particularly kind to of people of my ilk, so. <laughs> yeah. Um, that said, either way, we'll be definitely um, watching <laughs> and supporting. Two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Two o'clock in the morning. Oh, what more fun to go to a pub. Um <laughs> I do, you know, that's what I do love about these World Cups. Um, I miss the cat and fiddle because it's closed now. Um, it, w- it was on sunset. I used to run right down, um, right down over there and watch the matches. So, you know, this was 2014, of course. Um, yeah. Um, shall we begin? Sh- I was going to say. Shall, shall we, we begin the <laughs> autopsy? <laughs> so that... All right, if you've been following Simply Soccer, this is Season 3, Episode 28. Thank you so much again for being here. And um, as has become a tradition, Christian and I um, cover every side of the galaxy. And here we are with the defense. Um, Christian, how, how do you want to take this? Well, let's let's start with the goalkeepers because we, we kind of always lump the goalkeepers into defense. and. Yes. Honestly, I, I don't know enough about goalkeeping to do an independent episode about it. What I would say is this. Um, I think, let's start there. Jonathan Bond was fantastic this year. I think there's no question. I think a lot of that spring kind of mirage that we thought this team could be was Jonathan Bond being very good. I mean, if you look at the first two games of the season, they're both 3-2 results against Miami and against the New York Red Bulls. And Jonathan Bond was phenomenal in both those games. And all of us were kind of thinking oh, hey, like, you know, we have a goalkeeper that can win us games. It's just a question of the defense kind of following behind him. But we all forgot 
to remember that it wasn't just three nil wins, it was three two wins, and that two mattered a lot. Um, I thought uh, Jonathan Quinsman for the couple of games we saw him was 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 good, serviceable. Um, I I wouldn't necessarily start him. I think Jonathan Bond has the number one slot pretty lined up. Um, I, I'd like to see a little bit more of Lopez coming up next year. I think they can move Klinsman for some assets that I think would really help the Galaxy as we continue to talk through here. Um, and when we get to our end of season uh, like wrap-up episode, um, I think I, I just, uh, yeah, I, I think I think as we understand it now, there is a very clear hierarchy. Jonathan Bond, number one. Klinsman, number two. Um but I would I would have liked to see a little bit of Amstieg. I, I I we were promised a lot and we haven't really seen a lot. But mm-hmm. I think I I think we're in agreement that Jonathan Bond had a fantastic season in front of a defense that really didn't help him. Yeah, and you know that's what I was gonna say too. Was like when you when you look at the last few years of the Galaxy, the defense had always been the biggest issue. And you know as as much as the defense let down Bond. Um, you know, Bond, I'm going to say, had a few mistakes that, you know, people have crucified um, the keeper before. Bingham. I mean, Bingham, <laughs> Bingham. got killed for less. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He got killed for less. So, look, no diss on Bond. Um, I think Klinsman had that one great match, <laughs> and that was that. Um, it, it, it feels comfortable to know that you can have someone come in if, someone doesn't stay healthy you know um it's it's building that depth um i mean it, it it's hard because you want those clean sheets but you also understand the other considerations that are going on uh in a match that's that's causing these things right like there are just some goals that bond can do nothing about as much of a superhero as he is yeah you know? i agree i agree with that um, um I, I think also, he was dealing with a defense that was constantly in flux and in motion. And I think we could mm-hmm. probably, I, I, I think we, we both are in agreement that Jonathan Bond is number one going into next year, if I'm not speaking out of turn. Uh, yeah, and I, and I am totally on board with it. Um, he has been the reason why the Galaxy had chances to still qualify at the time for playoffs. He was the one that kept the Galaxy in the running um, and just saving goals at, at like late um, in stoppage time, you know, really just keeping the galaxy alive. So um, I, I know everybody's got a, a crush on Bond in one way or another, um, but I, I really, I really have a lot of respect for him. I'm glad that he's part of this team. Also, he's up for save of the year, so go vote if you are able to on MLSsoccer.com. Um, I, I do want to. I don't know where you want to start in terms of left back, center backs, or right back. Yeah, that's what I was... Do you want to start positive or negative? Um, let's, let's start negative so we can end on a positive note. That's how I like to live. Because I think you understand where I'm going to start negative and then go positive, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, I think we all know where the positive comes from. Um, left back. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm looking at a depth chart of the Galaxy right now, and the left back is Viafania, Hamalainen, and Acosta as our left backs. I would have liked to see a little bit from Acosta this year. I understand he was recovering from an ACL, but man, Viafania was a bit of a disappointment for me this year. I, I really thought we got something special because I think if you look at the Portland teams, especially the Portland team that won MLS Cup, Viafania was so good those years. Yeah, that's what I don't quite understand. Like what happened um, when when Hemelinen or. Yeah, when he was having a little bit of trouble, I remember seeing a tweet, I think it was LAG Rumors, who was like, you know, saying like, just just take him off or get him off or something. And I just said, yeah, I mean, if you want to sub him, but then who do we sub for, right? Yeah. But that's what I was thinking, via Fania, because he's on, he's on there, he's available on the bench. Um, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't think he's better than, than right now, the way that he's playing on paper, he's better than Hamelainen, but... I- you know, go for it. I think there was an... I understand why they brought in Viafania because I understand what Vanny was trying to do with his outside backs, which I think this gets into another structural conversation, but I understand what Via, or what um, Vanny was trying to do with his outside backs, which is that he wanted them to... So he would tuck the wingers inside and then have his outside backs hit the space available, right? Like, that was the plan. 
Villafania was so good at that in Portland, but he matched that with defensive ability. He never really had that at the Galaxy. And I don't know if it's necessarily like the midfielders kind of cutting into space in order to make sure that whenever Viafani was tracking forward, they at least protected that side. I don't know exactly what happened, but it just looked like Viafania at every single time he, he, he started or was playing, he never looked confident. I thought Hamelainen was very good this year. I really did. Um, I think, you know, Hamelainen's attacking intent, especially against LAFC in the game that we drew through three, was incredibly good. Um, I do think Hamelainen got caught up field a lot of times, and I think the the kind of game plan, if you were going to beat this Galaxy defense, was, oh, just sit behind the left back and ping a ball out there when they're in transition. They're not going to be able to defend you. And that was kind of right. Um, but, you know, that, just I, I would have liked to see a little bit more of Acosta. Again, we don't know what his injury recovery was, et cetera, et cetera. But I think, you know, if, if there's a position of need for the Galaxy right now, if I am, if I am Tim, or if I'm, uh, if I'm, to Closa for as long as he's going to be in the in that um, in that office or Greg Vanny, the first thing I'm doing is going to look for another uh, for a steady left back that I can rely on because I think that was where a lot of defensive mistakes happened this year. I mean, this is where you know, yes, these are the big questions that we're going into 2022 with. Um, you know how. How this team has been able to adapt with so many new players has been great, albeit, of course, you're going to have the challenges that come with that. Um, but that said, yeah, I mean, there's no if, ands, or buts about it. They they need a, a more reliable left back. So, um, mm-hmm. And then moving to the center backs, I mean, I, I asked this question um, when we were with LAZR House against, at the home game against Dallas, but I'll ask you it now. Mm-hmm. You have to win a game tomorrow with this Galaxy team. Who is your starting center back pairing? <laughs> um, I mean, okay. I like that that Williams Koulibaly pairing. I know Koulibaly was a disappointment for people, um, but I also think it it I mean, how much how much time and chances do you give them to to give that a go? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So I think the center back is a very interesting question around the galaxy, right? Because I think you talk about Koulibaly getting injured. You talk about Williams and what happened in Portland. Um, and then you talk about Depew kind of coming on the scene and becoming one of Vanny's most trusted players near the end of the year. And then, you know, Daniel Starr is kind of getting edged out, oddly enough, even though he's the longest serving galaxy player currently on the roster. Um, I, I think a lot of this season's struggle happened a lot of, so again, we'll talk about this when we do our, our kind of wrap up episode at the end of the year in about three weeks time, um, which by the way, it's going to be really fun. Um, I think a lot of the problem with Vanny this season is that he brought in 17 new players mm-hmm. and then never figured out the balance of it all. Yeah. That's, that's what I was thinking because you know, when you have, so I'm looking through the the lineups, right? I was like looking through the lineups, like, and, and you just see the guys back there switching, 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 and you know it, it's hard because it, you know when you keep changing like that, like you know if you're gonna stick with, let's say you're gonna stick with Stairs, it's like you you want to keep him there. I personally think like Stairs had been solid. Um, you know he has been the one that's that's you said like is the most. Uh, he's a veteran with the Galaxy now. So it's just, but it's also hard when you see you see the potential with with Depew, right? Like, like, but then you also see the mistakes that come there. It's it's so hard. <laughs> well, I also think, it's so hard. I think they brought in Williams and Koulibaly because, I mean, nowadays we, we talk about the modern game and we talk about center backs that have to do everything, right? Like they have to be mm-hmm. defensively solid, but also like they have to kind of be quarterbacks in terms of, starting attacks and like pinging long balls to the wingers in order to hit space and stuff like that. Like, so I think bringing Williams and Koulibaly, and I will say this, I understand a lot of the criticism of uh, Sega Koulibaly. And I do understand a lot of people who said, we just got another Siani, except he's a little bit taller. That's so, yeah, I think that's harsh, but anyway, I get why they say that, but I don't 
agree simply because Koulibaly on the ball, if you look at a lot of his highlights this year, I mean, the dude could just break lines like it was his job. Like, I mean, Koulibaly would just like stride into the midfield, break two def- or break two defensive midfielders and find a pass. Like, that's good. That's what you want. Like, that's what you like. Keep that. You know what I mean? But you need to have someone behind him that when he goes, his center back pairing partner knows, okay, I have to tuck back inside. And the defensive midfielder knows I have to tuck back inside as well because I understand where he's going. Now, I think I think Williams can and Williams and Depew can figure that out. Now, I think near the end of it all, if Koulibaly was playing, then Depew makes a ton of sense, right? Because Depew doesn't, you know, he's 6'5", doesn't really run well, very good at staying home. So what do you do? You pair him with Koulibaly, who's going to be a little bit more intrepid, and then you put him in just like a, hey, stay home, don't do anything kind of role, right? You know, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I think Williams also was a little bit more forward intrepid than the ball. And I think this is the first year in a very long time we've had two center backs that actually like want to move forward with the ball, which I think yeah. in, in in the modern game is like a huge deal because the modern game, as far as I'm concerned, and we could do an entire podcast about this, is all about compressing space and then winning those moments of compression of space. Williams and Koulibaly do a very good job of that. But Koulibaly lacks on pace, and Williams is not as polished as I think we all thought he was supposed to be. Yeah, I like that Stairs, Depew, Williams, even Hamalainen, like, they'll, they'll take shots, you know? I know that's not where your goals are necessarily coming out of, but I think the biggest problem that I've had with this Galaxy team is that, like, nobody seems to be taking the shots, and they're just, like, passing, passing, passing. And I understand, like, the defense is, again, trying to get that ball forward, trying to keep the ball um, it's, it's just so frustrating to, to watch. And so my, my biggest thing is that Koulibaly, obviously he's, he's just too slow, right? Yeah. Um, so that, that was just, that was just the only thing uh, about that. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if they're in the market for another center back at this point, but yeah, sure. And that's fine. And Honestly, I really like, that's fine with me. And and here's the thing. I really like Williams and I really like Koulibaly and I'm, I'm, Again, so did I. ever the pragmatist, ever the optimist. I think there's something here. But I do also criticize Vanny, and I will be very honest, there's a couple of things I've criticized Vanny on. I don't think Vanny understood his best center back pairing this, this season. And I think we all can agree on that. Because, I mean, the amount of movement through the center back pairings was, it, it felt to me a man that, was just trying to just anything, just try anything, throw darts at the wall and hopefully one hits, you know. <laughs> Something sticks, yeah. Yeah. But I saw a lot from Williams and Koulibaly that I really liked. I, also, I will say, I'm going to give credit to Nick DePew because I think all of us kind of had an image of Nick DePew that like if he's getting subbed in, it's, okay, we're parking the bus and just anything that goes to the center box or uh, the center of the box, Depew's just sending, you know, 15 yards upfield, right? Like, that's kind of the image we had of Depew before the season. As the season went on, I, I was actually very impressed with Depew. Like, I-, I-, I very much was. Like, he looked a lot more mature on the ball. He looked a lot more composed on the ball, I guess, is the word to use. Um, and I-, I think there is there is a lot of future. Now, I will say, and I have to plug uh, my piece, but I wrote a piece about... Jalen Neal's mom. Jalen Neal has been starting for the U-20s at this Revelations Cup in Mexico. And he's looked pretty decent. And I think, you know, he, he was dealing with an injury for most of this year. Uh, that's why he kind of stuck around G2, you know, trying to heal out. It wouldn't surprise me if we see Jalen Neal around the first team next year. And I would, I would really love to see it. I, that would be phenomenal. Are you kidding? Yeah, that would that would be a dream come true. Honestly. I think I think he's got the he's got the game. I mean, he he reads the game incredibly well. He reads the game on the front foot, which I think the Galaxy have lacked a defender that like they had to bring in Williams and Koulibaly to read the game on the front foot. I think if you look at the Galaxy defenses under uh, Guillermo and under Siggy and under uh, Dom Kinnear, they all kind of were very reactionary defenses. I think this Galaxy defense was trying to read the game on the front foot. I just didn't ever figure out how to properly do that. Mm-hmm. I think Jalen could add that that dimension to this team. 
Yeah, I mean, you heard it here first. I mean, we can't really say what's, what is, you know, going to happen, but definitely the Galaxy are in the market. I, I was thinking more and more like that, like, <laughs> especially when it came to Cabral, right? Um, it's just like, just can we bring his brother in? Like, you know, so can we just look at G2? Um, isn't that like the whole purpose of the development of the Academy and, and whatnot is to be able to to get the guys like that? Yeah. So shall we uh, move to the, the positive, which I think both of us were in alignment on? The shining light, the star, Julian Araujo. Oh, my God. I, what a season, right? Like, I, I, you and I would text every week being like, it is such a joy to watch Julian Araujo grow up in front of our eyes, right? Mm-hmm. Like, because I, I, I will fully admit, I dogged him in 2020. I really got frustrated with him. Because I thought the easiest way to beat the Galaxy was you just go after Julian Araujo, you make him angry, he gets baited into a stupid red card. Mm-hmm. Galaxy are down to 10 men. That's day done for you guys. I mean, honestly, that's kind of what happened with the with the own goal was that he he already had a yellow, and I think he just kind of pulled back because he was afraid to get to I don't, get an, another red. I, I don't blame him. You know, I, no, he exactly. should have taken that challenge. Him. But yeah. but 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 like, that's the one time we're kind of talking about that this season, yeah. right? Like yeah. Julian has kept his like the maturity that he has shown over this year, after, compared to last year and the year before is incredible to me yeah his footwork too his, i mean yeah the way that he's won balls and megged guys um let's let, and just moves yeah let's talk about the off the field stuff first before we start talking about the on the field stuff hmm. in the sense that in terms of the leaders in this locker room right we talk about victor vasquez sasha kleshton chicharito all very seasoned pros that have been through it and julian araujo and he's what, 1920? I mean, he just, he, the, the step he has taken forward this year to watch it happen in person and as it unfolded over the year was incredibly amazing. Like, it truly was. On the field. Yeah, he can get a little too aggressive in the attack. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. But. And he is still young. Yeah, yeah. He's an unfinished project. But he's, he he gets it and he understands it and the way that he played like I mean there was there was there was games where just like yeah he'd overcommit but then he was booking it down the field and would just recover so well and just get like the perfect tackle like for a defender to have like a lot of the way that Araujo kind of finishes out his tackles where it's just like perfect timing I got it I'm going to avoid the yellow I'm going to win the ball I mean that's you can't teach that that's just skill and I was so impressed with Julian Araujo this season. I, I kind of wish he had scored a goal because I think uh, the, the the dignity would have gone absolutely nuts. Um, but you know, just I, I, it he was so elegant this season in a way that I did not expect from him. And I, I'm going to be really bummed when we, when we move on to Europe in uh, in January. <laughs> I know it was a fleeting happiness when he when he signed a contract longer, you know, for years uh, with the Galaxy. But yeah, I mean, when you play like he does, I don't I don't want to hold him back, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, in terms of players that deserve the captaincy, I mean, I'd give it to Julian if he stays next year. Yes, I give it to him immediately. Um, I think Julian deserves all the accolades that he's got. I am curious about the fact that Ricardo Pepe won young player of the year over him um, <laughs> because apparently scoring U.S. men's national team goals means more than your club form. Um, but, you yeah, know, Julian Araujo for me is the, is the standout from this defense. I mean, just the, the dude is a consummate modern fullback and I, I, I truly believe he's, his ceiling is, beyond anything we can comprehend. Like, he could be one of the greatest players. Or, like, he could be one of the greatest outside backs that Mexico has ever seen when he starts playing for that national team. Like, I mean, he just, he gets the game in a way that I don't think a lot of outside backs do. Yeah, and I understand that, you know, as far as U.S. men's go, um, it's it's crowded back there. And, you know, he went he went to Mexico. and But honestly, that that's a loss for the U.S. men, you know? 
I mean, outside back for the first time ever is a busy position for the U.S., so I understand why he looked at Mexico and said, yep, my long-term future is probably there. Um, I, 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 I flash back to the, the 3-3 game against LAFC at the bank and just how good Araujo was that day. I mean, yeah, he probably should have – probably the penalty should have been given in that, you know, first minute. Know. But, again, he's a young player. They, they will make those challenges. But, like, it just – his composure afterwards just – he looked like he had been playing the game for – like, he had been a professional at this level for, like, 15 years. And I was like, he's only been a professional for about three years. Like, the, he, he exudes a certain level of, like – just, I don't know, class is the right word, but like experience that you kind of sit there and you're like looking on your phone being like, how old is this dude? You know, like mm-hmm. he's, he's just so good. And I mean, there's obviously, there's rumors that Tottenham has been interested in and in, in a couple of other clubs. I hope he goes to a club that, you know, if he leaves, um, I think he's going to stay in life for at least another year. Um, that's at least the sense I get. Um, if he does, I hope he stays. Um, but if he goes to a club, I hope he goes to a club where you know they're actually going to prioritize his development because I think the sky's the limit for him in terms of his ability and talent. Yeah, and I feel like any team that he chooses, he knows that he's just not going to be a bench warmer. You know, um, not not when you're playing like he does for for the Galaxy. I'd like to see him in Belgium or like second division Germany, and I think he'd be very good. Or maybe even the Netherlands, like a young Ajax or PSV or something like that. I think he'd actually be very good there. I mean, I would love to see that. Um, you know, obviously, more so would love to see him stay with uh, the Galaxy for, for another year. I, I, think, um, I think this team, it, it's hard because, you know, not qualifying for the playoffs really disappointed us here, me and Christian, especially because we're the, ever the optimists and we're, we were vouching for this team. And when we missed the playoffs, I was just like, this is just so hard because it just takes away from all the good things, the gelling that this team, the potential, the how they haven't been able to really show or do anything. I mean, it's easy to, to put down Koulibaly, right? But that that Williams-Koulibaly pairing, like just knowing that that could be when we first saw it, we're just like, we just I just feel like it needs more time, you know? And if Julian Araujo can stay for another year, I think that it, that he can really be a leader and and set up that back line. I mean, I don't know. I mean, if he if he does go off after a year, you know, is that back line going to collapse? I mean, that's what you're you're hoping not. Well, the, um, they um, do have O'Neill Fisher waiting in the wings, and I think that's why they brought him O'Neill Fisher in. So so okay, Fisher. I like him. I I understand the the frustration from people who are just like, oh, there's giveaways and. He messes it up, and you know that's you know that's how the other team's able to score and whatnot. But um, I I don't think that that's an easy position for for first of all for him to be in. Um, you know, it it is hard to to fill Araujo's shoes, right? I mean, you're not going to have the same person going into that spot. I think, um, but I yeah, I like Fisher. I just don't know. I don't know that I see him staying back there though. Yeah, I... Like, more than, like, a sub. Well, right? I also think O'Neill Fisher, over the last five games of the season, actually kind of proved himself a little bit more than we expected. Um, mm-hmm. I think he's a very good option, if that makes sense. Like, I think mm-hmm. he's, 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 he's a good little, you know, kind of, like, Swiss Army knife to have in the back pocket. I don't see him starting over Julian Araujo at, at any point, but I think it's good to have that kind of depth. And, I, and this is the thing really quickly about this galaxy defense we're talking about depth right now like we're talking about well williams and cool Bali would be really cool to start every game but like what if like well but what if depew or what if steris or what if you know jalen neal or for uh Kronis, like all pop in you know like i think this is the first time in a long time we've had a conversation about this galaxy defense where we're like oh shoot there's depth here you know like mm-hmm. and i think that's a very good place to be i i think a lot of our conversations over the next three weeks are going to be about there's building blocks. And you alluded to that uh, in, uh, in what you just said, like there's building blocks to success. How do we get over the hump on that? And part of that is it is on Vanny. Like you said, like the, the choices that he's made, the options, the balance, 
That that is where, and I'm vouching for Vanny too. I want him to stay another couple of years. I think he deserves more chances as well. Um, you know, it it's it's just it's hard. You can't you can't keep just. I get it. I understand, especially when you're hungover from GBS and you're just like, let's let's just start over. But you know the. And for different reasons, and I'm not going to look back at the history of the Galaxy and other coaches and be like, well, it worked this time or it didn't work. And, like, they just, you know, let's switch them out. Um, or, like, hey, Klein out because he needs to start at the top. Like, all of those all of those things, it's just, let's just work with what we got, you know? And let's see what pieces are able to, to come in. Because regardless, it's still going to be shaky. It's still going to take time for for it to work. Um, how much time is that? I mean, <laughs> yeah, you hope that, you know, the Galaxy this season had started strong, right? But then the, the last 15 games, they only win two. So, yeah, it's, I understand the impatience, but this is where we have to trust the coach, and this is where we have to give the players a chance, especially in that defense, to be able to gel together. That's it. So you're the uh, teacher of the family. I am. Uh the Galaxy defense, what grade do you give them? Oh, dear. Are we comparing to other seasons, or we're just looking at... This season. This season. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm being generous, but I, I honestly, I think I think it's a, it's a B. Um, because... Because, again... You have Julian Araujo there. How you, how how am I gonna you know, give a barely passing score with a guy that that can play the way that he does and hold the ball the way that he does and 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 get that possession back? You know, um, there's there's just there's just so much potential that I think. <laughs> I mean, on a full report card, you give a BSS, which the S is the satisfactory. It's not an E, right? <laughs> you're 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 seeing the that that there's room for improvement. Um, I understand the disappointment, but as we're talking about Fisher and and what he can do and what he can do as a sub, you, you're talking about the depth that this team has. Um, Williams, for sure, I see him there. I don't, I don't, when you're talking about a center back pairing, I see whoever's there is pairing with him. Um, yes, Depew is also, I mean, there were times when we first saw that kid, we were just like, who is this guy? Like, look at the way that he can play. Look at what he can do. And and Viafania, I, I hopefully he, he gets back on track. Um, Hamalainen, okay, you know, people were saying baptize him a G because he used to play for, for LAFC for briefly. Um, but I, I've, you know, it's just, it's hard because these guys, individually, they all have different traits and it's just figuring out how, they, how they're able to work together in a group. <laughs> as, a, as a teacher would say, like, yeah. Yeah, I, I'd agree with you. I'd, I'd go B minus. I think there was there was opportunities this year, but I, I think they were they handled themselves well as best they could. Yeah, exactly. And I was thinking that, but on an actual report card, there is no minus sign on. Not not in middle school anyway, you guys. When you get to college, <laughs> that little minus counts because uh, your girl's sitting here with the three point six. Uh, GPA instead of a 3.7. Okay, so, we're showing okay. off apparently this evening. No, I'm saying <laughs> I could have been summa cum laude and I just got cum laude because of a B minus. Anyway, <laughs> so I was like, I got, I got straight Bs my last semester of college. I Bs got, get degrees. Got there you go. Yeah. So, <laughs> yes, but, but it doesn't give you MLS cups apparently. I was going to say, my mother's, my mother's Mexican, but she had that mentality of like, you have a B, why not an A, you know? <laughs> so, so I think, I think that, you know, um, our listeners here are galaxy fans. They're that mother in your ear. That's like, why a B, not an A, right? Like they're pushing these teams. They're calling for it. I get it. I get the frustration. I see the same problems that you guys do. <laughs> We're watching the same matches. However, I do think that people get, especially on Twitter, way overly harsh just way overly harsh on their on their criticism i understand the criticism but it's like look at what they're working with look at all sure no excuses but at the same time like you got to give guys a chance to develop and and be able to to develop together and and 
you know, sometimes that chemistry is there and sometimes it's just not, right? Yeah. I, I, it, this was an interesting season. And you have the pieces that you have. Yeah. Like, and even if, you know, what are you going to do if there's, if, if, if Williams doesn't, you know, gel right with a certain guy? Like, yeah. Who are you going to sub off? And as we, uh, as we get into the midfield and forwards next week, I think sub it's going to be. Who are you going to sub in? Sorry. As we get into the midfields and the forwards next week, I think it's going to be a really interesting conversation as we head to. Um, I'm going to preview our end of season episode if that's cool. Oh, please do. So, so we're going to do the midfield next week, the forwards the week after, and then it's the first edition of the Simplies. Yeah, so our end of season uh, show is going to be a award show where Michelle and I award awards to like best defender, best midfielder, best forward, but also we want categories that you want like I don't know, best fan moment or best own goal or best red card. So please get in our mentions. Tell us what you want to hear and see because we're we're going we're going big. I'm I'm wearing a suit for that episode. Yeah, the the Galaxy have their own awards, and Christian pitched this idea to me, and I I'm the more I thought about it, I was like, you know what, this is gonna be really fun. We we get to do something. Um, I'm wearing a suit for the episode. Like I'm not joking. No, I'll I'll totally dress up <laughs> and and I'll put my I'll put the video on when we record. Nobody else will see it, but you will. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh, but yeah, so we hope that you'll be here to join us, and uh, yeah, we'll have a uh, listening red carpet for you. Of course. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Thank you. We encourage you. Please dress up at home too. Please give us five stars on your podcast app and leave us nice comments, please. We appreciate it as always. And as Christian mentioned, uh, his article is available in issue two of Elias Our House's magazine. If you haven't copped a copy yet, uh, there's still issues available. So hit up Elias Our House. And thank you again so much for all your support. We'll see you see next you week. Soon.